the New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner. Welcome along to the New Zealand Business Podcast. Right now, I'm with Malcolm Rands, who is the CEO and founder at EcoStore. Welcome along, Malcolm. Thank you very much. Now, just to st- start off, you, I mean, there have been varying uh, ways that you've been described when I was uh, researching you. And of course, I heard you speak at uh, the TEDx event here in Auckland about two years ago. All right. How do you like to describe yourself? Oh, I thought you were going to start throwing insults at me then. <laughs> no, no. I don't want to get this wrong, so I'm handing it over to you. Um, I don't know. I mean, I am basically a, a natural entrepreneur. I mean, the first half of my career was in the not-for-profits, and but then when I look back at it, my whole life has been, I just love starting new things. I like being passionate about it. I like things grow, and basically, I just love um, making a difference in the world. Good. Well, just um, before we started, I was reminiscing on your your TEDx talk, and you were telling me about about that too. Maybe you can just run run listeners through what that experience was like compared to you know previous events you'd you'd spoken at. What was the preparation like? I think you mentioned it was commented to you that after this talk, for the rest of your life, this would be one of the first things that people would find when they Googled your name. Correct. Correct. Um, it, has that been the case? Well, what happened is um, when they approached me um, as a topic, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of public speaking. And so I thought, oh, yeah, no trouble. Yeah, you know, I can. And then I went through everything that I usually say, and they say, well, you know, this is not about that, Malcolm. It's about an idea. So in the end, I had to find one aspect. And the aspect was um, around how businesses can become more ethical if they uh, attach themselves to a cause, around that idea. So suddenly I had to go along to rehearsals as a brand new talk I'd never done before, way out of my comfort zone. As they said, you know, that that comment about, you know, it's going to haunt you the rest of your life, getting more and more nervous. And then the day before I walked around and around uh, Victoria Park just doing the, the, the talk over and over again slightly different every time went on the stage quite nervous which is unusual for me I usually don't mind speaking at all very nervous and um, like the Prime Minister Helen Clark was there and other big names were there and um, went out there got a great reception you were there I got got four times I got applause and I was the first one to get that walk off the stage couldn't remember a word I'd said not a word (laughs) And so I thought, oh, my God, which speech did I actually do? So I had to wait for five weeks when they actually um, broadcast it on uh, the video to find out actually what I said. Fantastic. Oh, that's, um, that's quite an experience. Well, it was definitely, it was definitely worth uh, sitting in on. I really enjoyed that. And you know, listeners might well want to, uh, to look up the, um, the, the TEDx talk. But uh, um, one of the reasons I wanted to get you in the room was it was, it was such a fascinating chat. So let's maybe start, if you could give a little bit of background. You, know, you mentioned some of the not-for-profit uh, work that you, you did yep. uh, before, found in the eco-store. Um, and that's you know continued on. Tell us a little bit about that background and and what sort of sort of things that you did. Well, I mean, there's a few aspects. Um, I was doing the OE like most people did. I came back um, after being away four years in the end. Went and lived with my mum and dad as you do. And I thought I kind of wanted to get grounded. You know, I'd been travelling for so long, and I just came up with this idea: Why don't I make 
a garden for my mum. I'd never done that in my life. I didn't even thought about it. Just sort of a lovely thing to do for my mum. Went into the library because I always research things by reading myself rather than going to lectures and things. The book that just fell into my hand was Organic Gardening. And that was back in 1981. And I've had an organic garden every year since then. You know, it just seemed, why would you do anything different? I just, you know. So, um, bought a house in Grey Lynn in 83 with a big section before it was popular. It was a good good time to be buying in that uh, part of Auckland. A double section it was. And had chickens and orchards and gardens and everything, you know, like, Doing, and then um, got called up north. I'd been working for the council with their recreation plan and met up with a, uh, helping them out with a festival over the summer, a four-month festival. Ended up staying there 12 years. We kept working with this arts group in Whangarei and people from the arts group, a few of them and me started New Zealand's and almost the world's first permaculture eco-village out on, on the, um, the coast of Whangarei. So what's a permaculture eco-village? Two things. Permaculture is around the crazy idea that, hey, maybe nature knows how to grow food herself, that we're over-managing the whole thing, that you uh, look for plants that actually belong where you are. Kind of, I like to think of like weeds. You know, If you have a weed... Even different parts of the city, there's different weeds because they're the ones that like that soil, that amount of rain, that amount of um, sun, you know, the whole microclimate. They'll just thrive, won't they? They'll thrive. So you look for food plants that, that really belong in a particular area and it takes a while. A lot of trees, animals, and in the end, um, if you had the perfect system, you never get there. But what you're aiming for, um, it's pumping out food. You could walk away for 10 years, come back, pumping out food without you doing anything completely different to how, my, how we make food today. You go back to being a hunter-gatherer, and if you look at the, the top hunter-gatherer societies still around, not many of them, they end up, they're very healthy, <clears throat> and they end up working eight hours a week. <laughs> the rest of the time it's been family, recreation, spiritual practice, you know, all that horrible stuff. We spend eight hours a week working to pay for the car to get to work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If you look at it before, it's nuts. It's a different world, isn't it? And then the village side of it, that's the other people think, oh, yeah, not what you're talking about. Hippies, commune, not at all. Although we learnt what not to do from those guys. Thank you very much. But if you go back to the old world, Europe, Asia, Africa, if you live in the country, you don't live in an isolated farmhouse. You live in a village. And from there, you walk out to the fields. And so what we did, which is radically is that we clustered the houses close together. So if you walk out of your house at our village, you bump into your neighbours often. And that's actually got a technical term called bump space, and that's where all the action happens. You know, you just, oh, how's it going? Good, what you doing? Oh, oh I could give you a hand with that. Or could you do this for me? Or, oh, yeah, let's go down there to do that together. You know, that sort of stuff. It's not no haves to. It's always just win-win. And people say, oh, you're going to spend all your time in meetings, aren't you? We average four meetings a year because all the action happens just casually because you're always bumping into your neighbours. Yeah, that sounds good. And so how, how many people are, have you got in that community? Um, they come and go a bit. Um, we have woofers, as you know. We have the, it's been going since 86, so we've got second-generation people there, and they, they're there sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, it can be 30 to 40 people. Mm, cool. Now, looking at the business side, so getting getting from you know 
those first things that you did uh, to EcoStore. Obviously, there's some you know connection there with oh, completely. Uh, you know with all of these things. How did it sort of all lead lead together and, and come together to get started? Because uh, you know, well, it's, it's, well, it's been a long time since you started the business, hasn't 22 it? 22 years, yeah. Well, I mean, the crisis point is I did the best thing I'd ever done and it was very successful, but then the committee of the not-for-profit cancelled it. And that was devastating to me. So I thought there's got to be another way. And, and not-for-profits have two major faults. One is that if you work for them, you spend 90% of your time trying to raise the money, <laughs> only about 10% of your time doing what you want to do. And secondly, your boss is the most dysfunctional boss in the world. It's a committee, often of the do-gooders in town, because they're the only ones you can drag along, and they're often on too many committees. They haven't even read the notes when they turn up. And that's how decisions are made. Terrible. Terrible. So I thought there's got to be a new way. So I thought, why not set up a system where you create a capitalist business, which is EcoStore, turn on a dime, fast-moving, ambitious, but with ethics, and at arm's length, that business is there to fundraise a not-for-profit, which is the Fairground Foundation. So that was a model I set up um, you know, 22 years ago. And so how's that worked out for you? Well, um, pretty well. what I ended up um, because of my village life choosing household products um, because we had developed that ourselves um, started out from there mail order only because we could still stay in the village with incredibly low overheads and and service the whole of New Zealand we the the timing was right people were looking for this stuff you know not many initially so what were those first products and how did you go about developing you know, products that were going to you know fit with um, you know your ethos and you know, also be of interest to the market. Well, what how it come about is you know even though we live our own lives in the village, we um, do things together. And one of the things we've done together is that all our water that comes into the village uh, comes from a dock reserve. So we got as pure water as anywhere on the planet. And we thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if the water leaving the village was just as pure as the water coming in? And I must imagine we're a little bit up ourselves. You thought, you know, we're organic farmers. We'll show the locals how to do it. And our land practices were good. But what we hadn't thought about, and not many people in the 80s in organics had, what about the water coming out of our house? It wasn't going down a municipal drain. We had to look after that. So we started looking at our dishwash and our laundry and our shampoos and were outraged to find out we had more toxic chemicals inside our house than we'd been saying don't put on the food. It was right in our house. So as a group, we'd been looking at things, different ideas coming about, and and we thought, well, if we were looking at this, maybe the whole world was. So then eight years later, when I wanted a business idea, and I had ideas of what not to use, basically, once you know exactly what you're looking for, there's a lot of noise out there, so much information. But when you narrow it down to exactly what you wanted, and I knew the nasty chemicals I didn't want, I found out there was an odd little guy up north doing a pet shampoo. There was someone down the Waikato making a dishwashing liquid. There's all these people around doing it in small ways. I just got them to make another batch for me, put my, my label on it, put it into a mail order catalogue, and um, start. So I've always been the guy saying, you can't have that stuff in it. Rather than how to make it, I've been the person to say what you can't do. Sounds like a good approach. It was a great approach, yeah, yeah. And it's what I still do today, really. 
So as time's gone on, you know, at, at the time when you started, these sort of green products weren't uh, weren't really the norm. They weren't very popular in the market. We've sort of changed to, uh, you know, a world where I think people are much more interested and are willing to pay a little bit more for products. But we've got the big giant corporates that have come in. How does that work for you? What's the you know what's the the pros and cons of that? Because there must be some benefits and there being bigger scale businesses that are uh, you know trying to encourage people to use better products, but there must be some variance too in their own practices. Well, it's interesting, you know, like one of the things which still holds us back is there's a, uh, an inherent um, belief in the community that with the green products, you know, I'd kind of like to support you, but they don't really work and they cost too much. Everyone's got that. I don't, I don't know where it's coming from. They probably can't think that you could have a, a more benign chemical could do the job. You need something really harsh and horrible to do these jobs. People must, and, that, and it's always going to be more expensive, and that comes from the organics, which is. Where in reality, our stuff works just as well and is no more expensive. In fact, Consumer Magazine said the cheapest laundry wash in New Zealand is not the budget ones from the supermarket, but it's Eco Store front loader. Because we use 64 washers in 1kg. Right. Normally, there's only 20 in the budget ones. We can do 64. So per wash, we're very cheap. But um, so that's what we have to come up. And then the big companies are starting to use better chemicals. But what their studies have found out, that if they let people know that theirs were more eco, they'd actually lose sales. Cause, so they keep on pushing works well and cheap. Because that's what... People just don't understand that it could be plant-based and wet just as well. So one of the reasons they're staying out of it is that their marketing shows them that if they made their claims more green, they could lose sales. Wow. That's a bit of a surprise, I it think, it would be to most people. It is. It's a real surprise, yeah, because they've been so convinced by so many years it's all about harsh chemicals doing the hard job. I mean, the classic one was um, a test was done in New Zealand and Australia um, about shower cleaners. There is all the multinationals were used. There was about um, 15 brands put up there. You could, the highest score was five, okay, and only two companies got 4.5 and higher. One of them was EcoStore. Another company we all know from the adverts, which pushes the nasty chemicals, Easy Out Bam, they got two. <laughs> wow, that's a big difference. You know, and so, you know, if you, it's just about clever chemistry. It's not about using harsh chemicals. It's just about being very clever and elegant in what you do. And you outsource that side? You don't, you don't well, have to be... Well, that one was done by Sir Ray Avery, you know, brilliant mm. chemist. Yes, yeah. yeah. He, he, he formulated it for us, and he was proud that he had actually got it down to just about four chemicals, whereas the other ones were using up to 20 things. And he was saying it's all about elegant, clever chemistry. That's why aren't more people doing this? Other, you know, other than, um, you know, is it a lot cheaper for them to to make their products in this way? Um, you know, as I said, you know, per wash and household cleaning, we are exactly the same price. We are exactly the same price because we it, a lot of it's marketing rubbish. You know, it's just and they they have got um, <clears throat> they often make their their money because they own the whole production line right back to they get the um, petroleum oil and then they make that into surfactants and you know so they and that might be where they make the money right at the beginning and so if they change to plants suddenly they're not making that money right back there mm. so it's it's quite interesting 
But when you get to body products, it's quite different. We do seem more expensive. But that's because what we did is that we brought the high street into the supermarket. We were the first time that we bought um, high-quality um, flowing soaps and shower gels into a market where they had this really cheap, rough chemical stuff. Like um, I've seen our hand wash, same formulation. You can buy it for $4.90 at a supermarket. I've seen the same formulation, $30. Same formulation. So we've actually, what we... We seem a bit more expensive, but basically you're just getting something that's not going to strip all the goodness off your skin, and it's not going to irritate you, and it's not going to poison you. That's probably a good thing. So, <laughs> I mean, look, looking back, what are the biggest challenges that you've you know, faced in, in building the business that would be a lesson to, to others in business that you could share? I think um, one of the interesting things is that all businesses have the same problems and and for me it was the classic one, um, lack of capital to grow and lack of high quality expensive team members to join, you know, uh, and they're, they're the same thing. And so the way I got around that is I said I'd rather have a small part of a big company and own a lot of a small company so I have sold off shares and I'm now only quite a minority shareholder there's two people that own EcoStore but I was quite happy to do that because my partner who owns the majority um, agreed to fund the foundation which is the whole reason that I started it up so once I'd done that tick job done that's great and so how did how did that relationship come about? Was that something that you already had in place? Or did you have to go out uh, looking for it? Because it, you know, uh, it's often a, a you know a huge process to to go through to uh, you know to find uh, business partners and funders and so on. Oh, it's a massive project, and and um, I I was I have been naive in that way, but I've also been lucky. So I I wouldn't say I'm the expert there. I think I'm just a, a, a lucky fella. But I you know my advice is. Um, you know, do use lawyers, do use outside mentors, do, you know, use other people because you can get too emotional. It's your own baby. You don't necessarily see the, all the issues. So at that stage when you are selling your business, it's a one time to get a lot of advice that's on your side before you do anything. Yeah, I think that that's very wise. So, and did you do that, or were you, no. you were just lucky that it all, <laughs> that it did fall into place? Okay, I've been more. I was, I was more lucky than clever in that one. I say. Yeah, sometimes uh, you know we have we have to have stumbled once or twice before we uh, we learn these lessons. So it's uh, indeed, indeed, and then that's another thing that's Kiwis we've got to really learn in business is make mistakes. You know, the, the new mantra in business, and I agree a hundred percent, is fail fast. So don't wait until you've got the perfect thing until you take it into business. Just whip up a prototype, whack it out there. But but as soon as you whack it out, just take on all the information you get back and change it quickly. But we're we're too we're too precious. We can't oh I can't release my baby until it's perfect. Mistake. By that time, someone else would have already put it out there. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. And so you followed you followed that within your business with new products and developments on a regular basis. We do now. We, yeah. yeah, much yeah. more than we used to. Yeah. 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 What are the habits that uh, you know you have within your you know, daily life that you think are sort of keys to uh, helping with your success? I think you always have to have uh, an innate curiosity. You never think you know it. 
I mean, I'm still naturally an incredibly curious guy, and I think that's an amazing strength. As soon as you think you know it, you're in big trouble. Um, I mean, take other people's advice. Um, with your customers, the best thing you can ever have, and as people hate, but it's the best thing you can ever have is actually complaints. Complaints are gold. You've got all these things. For one, you... Um, can find out it's feedback on your business that things you're not doing well um, two you have an opportunity to be generous and if you handle them the right way you actually end up with customers for life and actually advocates you know because the thing is with someone making a complaint is they are still in the game the worst thing that can happen to people will just be saying uh, whatever and walk away I hate that they, they're in, if they're bothering to complain that means they are still got a passion for your business. So how do you how do you encourage that? How do you encourage getting that that feedback, that connection with your with your customer that enables those sort of uh, well, conversations quite, to happen? Yeah, we're quite lucky that we still right from the beginning we've got one retail store. So therefore, we do we're not just a supermarket brand. We actually do people face up, and and the people there are, are really open to talking about things, uh, and and then massive online. <clears throat> so and and we're encouraging surveys. We're encouraging people to feedback. If we do something wrong, people tell us straight away. And then and then a help desk and and the people in the help desk. Well, I said to them, listen, <laughs> actively feedback what you've heard, and be generous. That's that's yeah. good. That's good advice. And I think yeah, as as businesses get bigger, often those sorts of things get left behind. How do you, uh, you know, how do you keep those values coming through in the business as you've grown? Because you're now exporting uh, to a few countries around the world. Tell us about about that side of it, and you know, well, how you manage to keep that working. Because it's probably easy in New Zealand, but when you're exporting, you probably have to make a little bit more effort to keep that, uh, you know, that those communication channels open. Well, we do have um, we have worked through what you know the brand DNA. And our purpose, you know, is up on the wall. Is I mean, the purpose of EcoStore is right at the beginning. When I started, believe it or not, the problem used to be pollution. Can you remember pollution? <laughs> no one talks about we that now. We don't talk about it very much. Because <laughs> it's all global warming, which in, in a way is CO2 pollution. And there's a bit of, you hear a bit about the plastic pollution in the ocean, but, but it used to be only pollution back then. But even then, it was the same problem, which was is that, well, what can I do about it if I try and do something about it? It's bloody hard. I almost have to wear a hair shirt to do the right thing. It's expensive. It's a pain in the ass. I can't make a difference. The purpose of EcoStore, and this is on the wall, is that we make it easy and pleasurable for you to make a difference. And so if we're not doing that, we're not living to our purpose. And we concentrate on your everyday household chores, of course, you know, like um, cleaning yourself, cleaning the house, looking after your baby, a bit of gardening, a bit of pet everyday stuff but um, and so therefore that's on the wall so if we're not dealing with people and it's not easy and pleasurable the team know they're not doing it right If when we're dealing with our suppliers it's got to be easy and pleasurable when we're dealing with all the stakeholders you know that's, that's a mantra and is it hard work when you've got new people that come into the organisation uh, now or because you've been established for a long time people know you know those values when they come in, yeah. and and they they line up very quickly. It it is. I mean, it, it is. Uh, it does need to be a process, and we have got a, a and uh, 
forgot the word, but you know, when the first arrived, there's a, a whole process that you go through. Right, it's sort of induction. An induction, that's the word okay. I was looking for. We yeah. have a, 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 a written induction, and, and part of it is um, I try and get a few at a time, and then they come in, and then I spend an hour and a half with them just going through the whole eco man story. So you do that personally. That's something I that, do part of it. That's important enough to you that you don't just delegate that out, but no, you, you're always personally. part of that process. I'm always a person. And then they go around and talk to each um, head of each department. They go out to the factory and meet all the, all the people working in the factory. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we, we, we make sure that they know the whole culture. Mm. I think that's very important, particularly in a values-driven business, isn't mm. it, that you don't just – you know, here's a list of what you need to know. Uh, you know, somebody somewhere in the structure does the induction. No, but that the right people are, are doing it. You know, right through to yourself. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so everyone, even though they're very busy, you know, leaders of the whole team, they have to spend time to just to talk to the to the new people, even though it's got nothing to do with their team. That's great. And in terms of finding those new people, have you got a particular um, process that you just, use for recruiting? Yeah, we just use an agency now. But the, the, the great thing about um, us now is people are busting to work for us. And we're sport for choice because, you know, we are now an international business. You now we, we pay the same as other international businesses, but you're actually working for a purpose that you believe in, which is a luxury. So, so we get fantastic people coming to want to work for us. Now, it sounds like you've sort of ticked most of the boxes of what you were trying to achieve. You're, uh, you know, able to uh, um, fund your charitable endeavours. Um, sounds like you've got a pretty in- enjoyable, uh, you know, day-to-day life. Uh, where, where to from here? More international expansion? What, what does it yeah, look like? Yeah, um, China's just um, looking pretty amazing at the moment. Uh, we... We've been on board with um, a couple of the big um, online um, stores, uh, just practicing, and we're ready for um, 11.11. You've heard of 11.11? It's the um, biggest sale in the world. Everyone just goes mad in China on the 11th to the 11th. So we're, we're getting all geared up for that, which is just in a week's time. Wow. So looking pretty amazing there. Um, but really, I've got an amazing general manager working with me now who's just much smarter than me, which is what you always try and do, you know, get people smarter than yourself, who's running most of the day-to-day. So I'm actually really starting to um, spend more time in the um, Fairground Foundation. And we've got some incredible products, pro- projects coming through. So watch the space. Probably next year, um, the first one will launch, and you'll go, oh, my God. We'll look forward to uh, to hearing about that. Yes, indeed. Good, good. All right, well, thank you very much for your time. Any other sort of lessons that you would like to share from your, your journey and your, your story that might, um, you know, help listeners or maybe that are challenging or inspiring? I think um, the one thing I would have... If I'd gone back again, I would have done more of, and even today, sometimes I think I should do more of, and that is, because whenever I've done it, it's been fantastic, and that is actually getting a mentor. And there's a lot of people out there who are willing to do it too, you know, there's whole associations which have people waiting for you, and and, and I think it is, it's been one of the most valuable things you can do. I mean, sometimes I, I, I wonder why I don't do it more, maybe I'm kind of but embarrassed about it or something. I don't know because every time I do it is is amazing. And so I would I'd say, um, and they don't have to be even in your 
exact type of business because business principles are just business principles. And I'm doing uh, quite a bit of that now myself. You know, people ask me and I'll, I'll just give, you know, an hour or a few hours to quite a few different organizations. And I'm, I can't do it as that much, but I, I have enjoyed doing it. Great. And what has been the main benefit for you when, when you've connected with a, a mentor in some way? What are, what are the sorts of benefits that you've well, gained from that? Well, basically, um, one is that you really don't know how well you're doing because the only only thing you've got is a market response. And if you're new to a business, you don't know what part of the cycle you're at or anything. You know, should I be doing this well? Like initially, I got incredibly depressed like a year into my business. I thought I was doing terribly. I got a, a mentor, and this is when I was still up in the Whangarei area, who was just a local chemist, you know, so not really my business. He had a look at my business and he said, you're doing pretty well. Great. Where I thought I was doing terrible. You know, I just didn't know. You know, just, you know, and that made a mega difference to me. And he just actually just, there were some things I just didn't know because I had no experience that I I could do. And it was just fantastic. Yeah, I think it is important to sort of surround yourself with, uh, with other people that can, you know, give you that sort of feedback or share wise words and so on. If you're just in isolation and it's just you and and the team that you're working That's with, that's right. And who are, things get too close, so it's it's good that you get that outside look in. It really is because it's the, the emotions not there. You know, they're not encumbered with too much knowledge, which is interesting. Sometimes too much knowledge is a bad thing because it makes you think this is how things should be. Talking to New Zealand business leaders now, is there anything that you would like to see change in terms of how we do business in New Zealand? Any any challenge you want to put out there? Oh, well, that's the obvious one. If, if, if we don't become the best sustainable nation in the world, we're going to become a third world country. You know, The smart countries in the world, uh, like Denmark, for example, I've got business partners there. I mean, they're so far ahead of us now. We, we're going to become backward. You know, you have to indebt embed it deeply in your business sustainability practices because otherwise you'll have no business it is, is that and so I think we, you know we've lost the last um, oh, the last seven or eight years we've actually really gone backwards in that way where we could have actually become a world leader we're going backwards and it's going to affect business it really will because a lot of the old things which are subsidised, like the, the carbon and intense things, have been subsidised. We want to be getting rid of those things because we're going to lose them anyhow. And so we want to get better ready now. And the other one is, is when you're looking at the future, um, openness, authenticity. These are not just um, <clears throat> nice-to-haves, they're must-haves. You know, the consumer of the future wants a business they can believe in, they're going to buy, and they'll have a choice. And if you have this dirty old muddy one that you don't know what's happening or you have this open one who you know exactly what's happening, it's you can see their whole supply chain, you know where they're getting their stuff from, they're, they're supporting causes that you believe in, which one are you going to buy from? Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you very much for your time, Malcolm. It's been a pleasure. A pleasure too. Thank you. See ya. The New Zealand Business Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, your strategic and proactive IT partner.